Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick, graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator, and... I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi, this is Mark McKenna. Hi, this is Joe Jusco. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Hello, folks, and welcome to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I, sadly, am not your host today, Eddie or Peter, if you haven't figured that out yet. I'm John Sherpin, frequent audio engineer by night, part-time guy with a voice by day, and today I'm doing Peter and Eddie a little favor by uh, doing the wraparounds for this episode. So thank you for uh, tuning in, because today we're talking about the Garden State Comic Fest, but if you're listening, I'm sure you already know that, because our titles are not that cryptic. So before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode, I'm going to do some quick housekeeping. So here is how to get a hold of everybody on social media. If you go on to Twitter, you can find us as a page at The Marvelous. You can also find Peter on there as Peter Melnick. Yeah, that's not too difficult. Eddie's not on there. Don't even ask. Don't want to get into it. If you go on Instagram, however, you can get Eddie, Eddie9193. You can also get Peter at Peter Melnick once again. And, well, not once again, just Peter Melnick. Once again, it's just me talking. And lastly, you can find us, again, at The Marvelists. You can also find us on Facebook at The Marvelous, and you can find Peter on there as Peter Melnick Podcaster. If you got bored of all that and you like old-fashioned, uh, not snail mail, but the uh, e-snail mail, you can drop us a line in our email bag. You can send us homemade cookies, uh, Christmas cards. Um, very festive today. You can send us, um, I don't know, surrender flags. You can send us hateful letters. Um, pretty much anything you want. If it goes via email, we'll accept it. Um, so yeah, that's 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 pretty much it. You can watch the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you get podcasts. Um, though some of the uh, platforms aren't super updated. Probably gonna get that done for you soon. If you'd like to support our show, you can sign up for Stitcher Premium, which you can, you're gonna get for the first month for free, and after that it's only five dollars, which is a great deal. You're gonna have access to a whole bunch of archives, like the Weird Al Yankovic archives, among other things that I can't think of right now. But please, 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 please sign up for Stitcher. It's a great way to listen to podcasts, and you can listen to us on there. Um, so I recommend it. Um, you know, it's worth it. If you like promo codes, you can also use it at wolverinepodcast.com. You can put the promo code in Marvelous, and you can get that for free. Um, they had the first season, the, oh, geez, uh, Long Nights, and the second season has just come out, The Lost Trail. I really hope I got that right. Um, in true Marvelous format, we can never remember the name of the Wolverine podcast, but don't you worry about that. You just sit back, listen, and enjoy the show. Whew. All right, so we survived the intro. I survived it at least. I don't know about y'all. But we're going to get now into 
the episode. Uh, today we're going to talk to a bunch of fun people, the likes of Mark McKenna, Joe Jesko, and Howard Mackey. McKee? Mackey? I forget. I only listened to that audio like 20 seconds ago and I still forgot. But first, I'm going to briefly talk to you about the Garden State Comic Fest, or if you're cool, you can call it GSCF, which kind of sounds, that rolls off the tongue well, I'd say. Rolls off the tongue pretty well. It's a relatively new festival, but it's come through with a host of creators. Folks that visited the con, got to see panels, get autographs, and do whatever else with uh, the likes of Roy Thomas, who was the successor to Stan Lee as editor-in-chief of Marvel. What a position. Um, as well as Michael Bell, a famous voice actor who's portrayed many characters, some lovable, some not so much, like Bruce Banner, Cyclops, and my favorite, Dr. Octopus. As well as Alan Oppenheimer, another voice actor who has portrayed Blob, Colonel Chaffee, Fire Lord, and more. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Nelson DeCastro, famous inker, writer, painter, penciler. That's a lot of forward slashes there. Um, as well as Larry Stroman, um, the artist of X-Men Legion and more. As well as also Aaron Ashmore, better known to some as Jimmy Olsen from Smallville. We're such a wide host of creators that have really helped the medium grow in a whole bunch of different ways. This was an awesome event that people got to go to, sadly. I was not one of those people, um, but it, it was a great way, you know, just like all festivals for you to buy comics, get things signed, listen to people talk, as well as a host of events. I think they had like ice skating, if I read that correctly, it was a Dungeons and Dragons tournament, all around fun show, but if you didn't get to go, you can just listen to it vicariously through us, the Marvelous. So yeah, first up today is going to be Peter's interview with Joe Jesco. Yeah, just Peter, but don't worry, you're going to get Eddie later. Um, Joe Jesco is a famous artist who, among other things, has created a majority of the Marvel masterpieces trading cards, and he's he's done very he does very uh, realistic art that's very detail oriented, and he's and he's done a lot of really cool covers and things. Uh, but I'm not going to spoil it too much. I'm going to let them do the talking. So without further ado, here is. Our first interview. All right, this is day one of Garden State Comic Fest, and we are joined right now with legendary Marvel artist Joe Jusco. Joe, how you doing? Okay, doing well. So, with today, there's a lot of people coming by showing you the trading cards they've collected over the years, and that's one of the main things I've noticed about your career, like the fandom that the people have of your work on the cards. What was, what was it like getting into the trading card scene first? Well, uh, it's funny because at the time, uh, Marvel had a few trading card sets out. They did the Marvel Universe cards, which were pen and ink cards that they were doing. And then they I, they did, uh, I think, Marvel Universe 3, where I, they had me paint um, uh, two uniform backgrounds to it, like, like a universal type thing, and they, they pasted the, the, the figures onto the backgrounds. So that was my first, my first job in cards. Um, along with, actually, I, I always forget about these. I did for Tops the year before I did the Marvel Masterpiece cards. I did nine uh, Toxic Crusader cards for the to yeah wow. yeah they, they they had the, the Toxic Crusader cartoon out at the time and they did a trading card set. So I painted I painted nine figure cards for that set. So those are actually my very first painted trading cards before the Marvel set. But oh go ahead. Oh, but then the you know when when when. After they had finished the Marvel Universe cards, they were trying to find new things to do with the cards uh, off of Marvel. So they had Jim Lee do a dedicated X-Men set, where he was the only artist who did the X-Men. Uh, but it, they, they were also pen and ink drawings. So the next step in the evolution, then, what they figured was to do a painted card set. 
And you know, since I was the guy up at Marvel at the time who was doing most of the painted covers, I was the logical choice to ask to do the set. So it really was just a matter of I was up there at the time and I was the guy doing the stuff. So it was the logical first person to ask. Now, of course, it's a cliche question, but what is your favorite piece that you've done for the Marvel trading cards? It's a hard choice. I really liked, I really liked the Hulk card. Uh, that was one of my favorites. I like the Captain America card. Um, I know there are a few more in there that, that, that I just can't think of off the top of my head. Um, but they, they were... I forgot what half of them looked like, to be honest with you, because I did them so quickly. Well, we always do remind you of what the uh, X-Men cards look like for our Mutant Mondays on the uh, Instagram <laughs> Yes, you page. do. Yes, you do. You have to, make, you have to do more mutants, because like, sometimes I'll type in a mutant, and I'm like, like let's say Dazzler, Joe Jusko. Uh-huh. Okay, perfect. We got five there. Fantastic. That'll be five weeks worth. Yes. But then I'm like, oh man, no Glob Herman. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, I, I, a funny anecdote about the uh, the Professor X card from that '92 set. If you notice, he's sitting in the wheelchair, and there's a red window behind him. Right. That red window, I had asked them to strip in Danger Room, in in that window, and they never did. So there's this big like red square now, just sitting at the top of the painting for no reason whatsoever. Well, now that's going to be next week's uh, Beauty Monday post. So thank you for that, by the way. Not a problem. But. When it came to those, like just seeing those, your use of color, your use of this, the shading to it, it's very, it's like a photorealistic kind of, but not, but it's just, it's such a gorgeous look to it. Yeah, thanks. You know, I, I, I like to try and paint the characters and, and give them a little bit of life, but not photorealistic. Photorealistically, is kind of boring. So my, my stuff is, it might, it, it, it's painted realistically, but I don't think it's photorealistic because it has a little bit more life to it. Uh, and, and especially those pieces, because they were done so quickly, on my schedule was so tight on them, they're a little bit of everything. I mean, if you look at the, the blown-up images in those comics that they printed, you can see colored pencil, you can see magic marker. I mean, they, they were anything I got my hands on to get those paintings done. So they're not exactly paintings. They're sort of a cobbled-together hodgepodge of stuff. Now, also, one of the things that you did recently, a few, at least a few years ago at Marvel, was the corner box covers. And as we're sitting here at your booth, there is a ton, a plethora of <laughs> corner boxes. Myself, of course, I have my bias. We have the Star, the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, which is absolutely gorgeous. We've got John Bernstein, we've got uh, King Kirby, and Mike Mignola. And then just all the different iterations of these characters. Do you miss corner boxes as much as I do? Yeah, I really do. I mean, that, that, those are the things that, you know, as a kid, they're so nostalgic for me, which is why I enjoy, I started doing these. You know, I just, they would be really cool because I always loved those figures in the boxes. And the way these came about is I had done a few for myself just as a lark, and I made, made them into prints, and I had them on my Facebook page. The audience and, is clapping for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, Joe Casada and a few of my editors of Marvel had seen them on my page, you know, and I, was, I said to my wife, I said, well, I hope I'm in trouble for doing these because I'm just doing them for myself. And I, like, the next day I got an email going, uh, we saw something on your Facebook page that caught our attention. And, uh, Cease or desist. Uh, we'd like to talk to you about this. I was like, oh, boy. But they were like, these are awesome, man. Yeah. yeah. How'd you like to do, like, an entire cover series for us? And that's how the cover series came about. And I know... Uh, I'm surprised that Marvel has not done t-shirts these. Like, I went to a con once, and there was a guy who had, he, you know, they were fan-made, and they may yeah. or may not have been Marvel, if you're right. listening, Marvel, right. wink, wink. But it was a Spider-Man. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's Spider-Man without the hype. Right, whatever. right. But I, you know, got that shirt, and I was wearing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, I know that they started They started to market these in, like, uh, Hobby Lobbies and Michaels, on, yeah, on sort of the MDF boards and stuff like that. Um, but, uh... Uh, I haven't seen any other 
licensing of any t-shirts or anything like that. Have you seen uh, Ed Kesker's uh, X-Men brand design covers where he's utilizing, like he redraws the corner boxes? Yeah, I, 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 I had heard that doing corner boxes. Yeah, I, well, I'd like, I'd like to take the credit for sort of reigniting the interest in the corner boxes because I really think that nobody else had done that uh, before me, you know, so I, I, I'm... I'm uh, comic Book Artist Magazine, actually, uh, uh, a Comic Book Creator uh, Magazine is doing a feature on me in the next issue in the corner boxes and stuff like that. So. Yeah, and there's just, that was, I don't think even uh, DC back in the day, they did, didn't do like corner boxes. They had a few from what I understand, and people have shown me, you know, like, like corner box image. I don't think, I don't think, it wasn't a main thing with them for, for many years, though. You know, I, I know the reason, the reason for them was the fact that when stuff was on newsstands, that books would overlap. Yeah. And the corner boxes helped you identify which character was what book it was without having to have to see the title, you know. And once they went direct market, you didn't need them anymore because they were comic book stores and people knew what they were getting and everything beforehand. But I really think they added something to, to the cover of a book. Now again, a cliche question, but out of all the corner boxes you've done so far, what is your favorite? The uh, the Spider Man, the the, the, the Ditko for me to Spider Man. That was that's such a class. It was the very first one I ever did, have and it's such a classic image. Have you ever considered doing that one Spider Man one where it's like it's Ditko and it's up close Spider Man's? Uh, Oh, the, the, the headshot? Yeah, eventually, eventually I'm going to get to those. I, I, I'm trying to do, right now, my original intention was to sort of just doing all of the 60s boxes first and then moving on from there. So, I mean, like doing stuff like the Western Ghost Rider and Sergeant Fury and even Millie the Model. You know what I mean? Just do, doing wow. doing, doing every, like, a kid, two-gun kid, you know, all the 60s boxes and then slowly going up to the 70s and moving up from there. Because you could do these forever. There were a million different boxes over the years. Uh, but the 60s boxes loaned themselves the print because you remember in the 70s, then they did the circle motif. Yeah. It was like the figure in a big circle. And that's kind of hard to make into a print because it's, it's, they got that big circle thing behind it and the figures are now much more square. These were, these were tall, lean figures that fit into a box. So the 60s boxes were really ideal for doing this, this, this entire format. Now, also, one of the things that I ended up learning today was your first cover was, I believe, Marvel Preview number 15, 15 with yeah. Star Prince, I mean Star Lord. <laughs> and just seeing that cover, by the way, just blew me away because I'm like, wow, this is incredible stuff. And you would end up eventually going on to doing some stuff with Conan. Yeah. And it's, it's what would you say was your favorite thing about working on those Conan covers? Well, it's funny. It's it's that, that Star Lord cover you're talking about. I was 18 when I painted that cover. It was the very first thing I ever did for Marvel, and uh, Marie Severin had done a sketch for it, and she had the figures positioned a bit differently, and I couldn't figure out how to paint the figures the way she had them drawn. So I redrew them, and I really kind of ruined her composition. So I, I'll never forget how much more she knew about how to compose a painting than I did at that point. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it, it's I did that and. I did a few a few covers, miscellaneous covers after that, and then I, the fir first regular cover run I had was the Hulk magazine. Right. And I was teaching myself how to paint up to that point, and uh, I wanted a Conan cover, but Roy was still in charge of Conan, and I think Roy Roy liked hey Earl, he had you know, but he had you know Bob Larkin, and I think he had a stable of guys, and I never got a Conan cover until after Roy had left. Right. And once Louise uh, Jones, now Simonson, took over as editor, she had she asked me if I wanted to do a couple of Conan covers. Uh, they, they were a lot of fun. Uh, it, again, it was a period because I'm a self-taught painter, and I was like 21, 22 when I was painting those things. Um, I was teaching myself how to paint with every single cover. So I look back on those really fondly because I remember working almost every single one, and I remember how, what, what was giving me trouble and what I had to work at and stuff. It, it's... It was um, it, it was a, it was a really fun experience and a fun time because I tried to grow with every single painting. Now on top of that, you know, you mentioned the Hulk stuff. Was it the Rampaging Hulk? Comic? Rampaging Hulk, yeah. Now was that your cover, the one where he's holding the tank up over his head? I think number one. Uh, no, no. I, I I think the first one I did was twelve, where he's fighting some bold circus guy right. on a rooftop. Um, 
and then uh, I did. I think Ken Barr did the one you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I did. I did twelve, and through like twenty-five, I did about six or seven covers. And the thing about those kind of Hulk covers, especially yourself and other artists of that era, it's the dynamic use of color. Like when I when I brought that Hulk cover with uh, number one right. as well, like just the use of how much the green, well, and that's especially with your work as well. Like color is something that's so dynamic and powerful. It's like. Again, I keep using the word, it pops out and just makes you pay attention to it. Well, you know, with, with the superhero stuff especially, you know, the color went along with the whole the whole character concept. And back then, the printing wasn't that great. So you had to learn to paint for reproduction because when, when stuff printed, it printed a lot more dull than the actual painting looked. So you had to learn to bump the color up in the paintings. So a lot of, a lot of the paintings, the originals, you see the originals, they're a lot more garish than you would think because you had to overcompensate for the fact that the printing wasn't that good. And uh, then after a while, it took, it took a while to break out of that habit and to learn to tone your palette down because because it, it's the printing got better, but you're you you're mentally you were still doing that whole painting reproduction thing. So that that was that was a learning curve also after a while to sort of tone down my palette. But that's what sold those books. You know, you had to grab the reader's attention, so the color is really what worked. You learned how to bounce light and how to how to how to contrast lights and darks and colors and stuff. And that's that's that really was part of the art of doing painting those covers. Now going back over to Conan, one of the things about those covers is how bold and dynamic they are. And I'm seeing them a lot now with the current Marvel run mm. of uh, Conan, Savage Sword of Conan, Age of Elite, I believe, right. just all this stuff. Has Marvel asked you to do maybe one or two covers for that? They have not approached me at all about That's that. But since, since the uh, since the the reissue of the any of the Conan books, you know, I I, I found it odd. But I, I honestly I think it's 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 a lot of the editors up there. I don't know any of the editors up there anymore, and I think that. Uh, when it came down to it, they're hiring guys that they know now, you know, and, and I remember when Dark Horse got the Conan license, I don't think they wanted anybody affiliated with Savage Sword to do any Conan covers. So I, I never did Conan covers with Dark Horse either, you know, but, you know, that's 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 the nature of our industry. It's like guys hire who they know and who, who, who they work with and stuff, you know. And I mean, like I said, you know, I would pick up, like I actually, I may or may not have just dropped Conan as a book that I'm reading, not because of folly, right, because right. of... The finger thing means money. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, sure. But the idea, sure. like, if you came back to do a cover, not just saying this because you're here, I would buy that cover. Yeah. Just because. Well, I, I know uh, um, uh, Midtown Comics had asked me if I wanted to do a, uh, I saw that a, a Conan, a Conan oh. cover for them, you know, oh. exclusive for the store. So when, when I have time, I probably will. But I, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm so busy with other stuff right now, it's kind of hard to fit it in. But yeah, but but as far as Marvel asked me, Marvel has never approached me doing a cover for them. On the yeah. topic of Midtown Comics, though, you did a fantastic looking Wolverine cover, right. and I remember I didn't get to see you in New York that year because the line was insane. You yeah. have to get there super early to get a ticket right, or whatever. Right. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to see him. <laughs> but like, this is right now, like I believe, a year in the making. So thank you for being here for this and you know giving people the opportunity to see your stuff. Thanks. Especially. Thank you. Yeah, that that Wolverine cover is one of my favorite things I've done in the past few years. It was, you know, they had a concept for it, and as soon as he described what they wanted. You know, I, I saw it. I, I, I knew what I was going to do with it, and it worked out exactly the way I wanted it to. And those are few and far between the ones that come from start to finish work out exactly how you want them to. And like just seeing that cover, like when I think of your work, ironically, I don't think of Conan. I don't think of the Hulk stuff. I think of X Men. Yeah. And like, really. When yeah. I see the X, when I see you know the Master uh, Works cards, uh -huh. or, or Master Works or Masterpieces. 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 I see those cards, and I always associate X Men with that because there's just like a sense of the vibrancy of the early 90s uh -huh. and like the use of the painted covers because yourself Hildebrand just right. these guys and I believe also uh, Hughes Hughes did like some yeah. painted covers yeah. Yeah. like 
that's what I associate with that time frame, especially. And when I heard that you had done, you know, like the Conan covers in the '70s and you know the Marvel previous right. stuff, I'm like, well, he's been around then too. Yeah, it, 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 it's funny. I have people come up to me, I, and to this day, I sign more of those Marvel cards that I did in '92 than anything else I've ever done. You know, I, 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 everyone who comes up to me in the show has those cards. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that that all this time later. I'm still signing those things. And, and, and people have said to me they had never seen the characters painted before or brought to life, which is what struck them, which I found, which I found odd, because, but I also realized that the people who, the market for those cards were not the market for the Savage Sword of the magazines, because obviously the characters had been painted before, but not, I guess, for that audience. They, they, weren't, they weren't aware of it. So those cards were the first time anybody ever saw those characters painted in a semi-realistic way, which I think is what, what one part of the magic of that set from back then, you know? And there's just, like I said, there's so much cool stuff. Like, I know you did the masterpieces, I believe, in 2016. 2016, I did a new set, yeah. And they just collected that entire run as an IDW trade, oversized. Yeah. And I actually got that as a Christmas present. For oh, did you? Yeah. Show, and I was yeah. like, you need this. I, I know you've been eyeing this. He's like, ah, I can't pay that much. I'm like, you're getting it for Christmas. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah, I was really happy IDW agreed to do that book because uh, the way the cards were released, uh, it, 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 it's, they, they did a very high-end, hobby-only, expensive release that uh, the general public never saw. Yeah, I, never you know? I didn't know that set existed. Most people don't. And, and, and it's ironic because I had done that set for the people who bought the 92 set. You know, right. The people who bring me those, have been bringing me those cards for the past 25 years, I wanted to do another set for them you know, that I had more time to spend on and I'd do better paintings. And, uh, and it just didn't work out that way. The, the, the market has changed so much that these guys simply... They, they, they publish for a very specific audience now, a collector base, you know, and, and it's not mass market anymore, which, which you know, I, I, I didn't know, but I, I, guess, I guess that's the way the market is now. Yeah, and I mean, in all honesty, like, there's something special about just seeing those trading cards. And when you mentioned that, you know, a lot of people are coming up to you with those, those are part of my child. Yeah. So, like, being able to see that again and being able to, again, thank the people that are responsible for that, mm -hmm. it's such a cool thing. And I imagine, you're, you know, you see a lot of people my age, like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, well, and just... Well, I, I, it's yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 always really flattering to me because you know people come to me and they say these either got me into comics or these got me back into comics. Yeah. You know, so the the impact those cards had, and we, we just thought it was a really cool idea. It was just seemed like the next the next I, next step in their revolution of trading cards. I was the guy that, that was doing the stuff to do, and I and I said, yeah, sure. It sounds it sounds like it sounds like a really cool job, and we weren't prepared for what that set became because they if you remember it came out right after the Death of Superman cards. And Death yeah. of Superman was the big deal, the big thing that yeah, and we were like, holy shit, these are gonna be swallowed up yeah. by Death of Superman. That was not the case. And and, and these things hit the market and they just they took on a life of their own. It's I was we were all astonished at, at, at how that I set performed. That yeah, I, I think it took I think it took everybody by surprise. I bet. Now Joe how can people get hold of you on social media? Uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I, I do most of my communication through Facebook. I don't tweet. I don't like Twitter. I'm on Instagram. Uh, on the, the on Just Go Art. Just Go Art. Just Go Art. And I'm just Joe Just Go on Facebook. And you'll, uh, of course, always, we'll always see your art at, every Monday on Newton Monday on the Marvelous <laughs> Instagram page. And that. Yes. Joe, is an absolute pleasure. Yeah, same here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks a lot to Joe Jesco. Up next, we have Peter and Eddie together for the first time to your ears, speaking to Howard Mackey, McKee, Mackey, still not sure, who has written famously for Ghost Rider, Spider-Man, and many more. Let's see what he has to say. Garden State Comic Fest, day one, Saturday, June 29th. 
The Marvelous on the road, here to talk to multi-talented, multi-character talented. I'm looking at his banner so I can get some characters going, like Ghost Rider, my number one. Some Spider-Man, Peter Parker Spider-Man, Gambit, and the list goes on. I'll let Roosh. you talk about that soon. I mean, Rogue. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's Howard Mackey. Howard, thank you. Great to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Wait, Howard Mackey made Howard Mackey? <laughs> You know that? I, He's on the list. That's talent. Yeah, no, I know. It was, it was, uh, if I could remember high school biology, I would I would tell you how I did it by the splitting of the cells, but we won't go into that. You no, know, I've seen your name in so many comics, and I guess I'm going to say primarily in the 90s. Yes. And I'm going to guess that's, that's where I want to start with, is when you started, what year, and which titles you started with. Yeah, sure. I started working on staff at Marvel as an assistant editor in 1984, uh, and I was forced into writing comics by my... Forced? Yeah, absolutely. You will do this. Oh, oh yeah. Else. Yes, yes, that's exactly how it happened. I, I, um, my, I was an assistant editor to Mark Grunewald, and we were editing um, Iron Man at the time, and Denny O'Neill was the writer. And Denny got fired from Marvel in the middle of a storyline. And, I mean, he was, he was on staff as an editor. He was fired from his editorial position, and that meant all, all work stopped. Yeah, that was during, I believe, his uh, Daredevil run, wasn't it? Um, yeah, well, he was doing Iron Man uh, yeah. at the time. He might have, I, I don't remember if he was also doing Daredevil. I think that was, like, yeah. after Frank's uh, run. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it, it, was, it was 1985. Uh, and so Denny had finished his Iron Man, uh, or left in the middle of his Iron Man storyline, and... Uh, we were bringing David Michelinie on to be the regular writer, but they were, David couldn't start to a certain, until a certain point. He didn't want to finish up somebody else's storyline, so Mark and I were sitting down uh, to have an editorial discussion, and, and Mark said, you know, we need to find somebody to finish Denny's storyline. I said, yes, we do. He said, it needs to be somebody who was familiar with what Denny was planning. I said, yes, it does. And they should and, be in this room. And he said, and it will be you. And I said, oh, no, 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 it won't. And he gave me my favorite line ever, which I used on many people when I was then an editor and then also was a parent uh, to, to young daughters. He said, you're mistaking what I just said for a request. And then, you know, so that was used when, when uh, freelance writers or artists started to argue with me about something I had asked them to do, or when my daughters didn't want to pick up after themselves. Oh, no, not right now. I said, no, 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 you're mistaking what I just said for a request. And it, so I, I was, I've always been very grateful to Mark online. And that's how I, I wrote my first story. Um, and he was brutal to me. He made me rewrite the first plot about five or six times you know just like keep and this was in a day when cutting and pasting involved Literally. scissors and uh scotch tape okay and i wrote that and it came out and all of a sudden other editors were showing up and well we didn't know you could write it and I, apparently i didn't either and i started getting more and more work in the beginning it was a lot of fill-in stories or or short licensing uh, jobs. I did Chuck Norris and his Karate Commandos. Okay, story time about that. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> and I, I, I did uh, a fill-in issue of Power Pack, and I, I just I did a bunch of stuff until um, I think my initial early runs of stuff, uh, regular work was 
uh, Avengers Spotlight or Solo Avengers, and then ultimately they asked me to give a pitch in for Ghost Rider, and then that I... That became a mainstay. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't really know that it was, I mean, because uh, Ghost Rider was a, a book that Marvel was interested in doing, like Marvel editorial was interested in bringing back the character. Marvel sales tried to kill it. They had no interest in it, especially when I was attached to the project because the feeling was it was a failed character and they were trying to bring it back with an un, a, unknown writer and art team and thought it's never going to work. And no, it, there was literally memos written by the head of Marvel sales to the publisher explaining why we should not allow this project to go through. And Tom DeFalco, who was editor-in-chief at the time, just ramrodded it through and said, we're doing this. And to her credit, the head of um, Marvel Sales at the time, when the first orders came out on, you know, the, the sales figures came out on Ghost Rider number one, and it outsold the X-Men that month, which was, was unheard of, um, she came into DeFalco's office with a copy of the memo, and she tore it up and put it on, on his desk and said, yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> so... With, during the time of, of Ghost Rider, was that mostly what you were doing? What I'm getting at is they were done for how many projects, books, titles, yeah. characters would you find yourself working on in any given I don't know month? In in the beginning, because I still had a staff job, uh, I was really I was doing one or two two titles a month. But then once I left staff, it kind of ballooned. I, I I don't know an exact count, but there were times when I was doing a too many. And B, it was maybe it was four or, or five a month, which it's a lot of work. Yeah. But I, I was younger then, yeah. and I just like I, anything else. I stayed up until all hours, and that that's actually how I eventually left staff at Marvel because we we had a, a, our first daughter, and we were expecting our second one, and I realized I wasn't spending any time at home or or around when people were awake. So I was home from my, my staff job at Marvel in time to tuck my daughter into bed, and then Deb was going to bed, and I was working until two o'clock in the morning on my freelance work. In case you forget. And I said, something's gotta give, so. But I really only, had, at that point, now that I think of it, at that point, I really only had the one regular book, which was Ghost Rider. And we actually, we knew it sold well, but I didn't know what that would mean in terms of royalties and what kind of money would mean but I decided to take a risk uh, with with Deb and I I went in and asked to leave staff and, and they they offered me a, a writing contract and as soon as editors heard that I was off staff I got that's when I was offered web of spider-man and so now I had two monthly titles and then Marvel Comics presents came along and I I was suddenly my income was more than handling what I, I thought I, I could do. So safe to say that Ghost Rider was probably the title that you worked on the most. Yes. Um, you know, I've not. No, I don't know if, the single title. Yes, but I think technically I may have written Spider-Man more issues featuring Spider-Man than Ghost Rider because Ghost Rider I wrote consistently for six or seven years. I had a run of 70-something issues, I believe, um, with one fill-in. I still won't forgive the editor for it, who's a good friend of mine. Um, and But I, I wrote Spider-Man 
from you know web of Spider-Man to adjectiveless Spider-Man to other for about ten years straight. So, yeah. Is there a favorite? I was going to say, is there a favorite that you had that you like to work on? And for what reason? I, I, well, okay. Well, there's multiple reasons. <laughs> yeah, and everything. You know, Ghost Rider, of course, because I was a fan of the character. I mean, he's a, a, a flaming skull demon on a motorcycle. So, uh, to me, that that's a gimme. That's like a Frank Rosetta pick. Uh, yeah, there you go. And so, I, I just love the character. And it was... There's a lot. There's a lot of me in that character. You know, uh, it, the, the Ghost Rider... The stories were all set in and around Cypress Hills, Brooklyn. That's where I grew up. And um, Dan, there's a lot of stuff about Dan Ketch's life that reflected my early life. You know, he was raised by a mom after his dad died at a young age. My dad died when I was seven. So there were there were things, and I can I can get even more psychological when I go back. I didn't even realize how much of me was was in it until later on. But then, you know, I got to write Spider-Man. You know, and you know, I, I was I, I was a kid who you know during the winter, you know, we were going to Johnny Alberico's uh, dining room table when it was too cold and snowy outside, and all sitting around passing around, uh, you know, John Romita Sr. Ross Andrew, you know, comic books and reading them, and then all trying to poorly draw Spider-Man at, at his mom's dining room table. And so, you know, to, to get a chance to have that much of an impact on the Spider-Man comics for as long as I did, it was just, it was cool. I, I believe, you know, and again, a lot of this comes in hindsight when I, 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 I hear the patter of Peter Parker in the comic books that I wrote. It was just me, you know, that's the way I, I talk in, in life. So to choose a favorite, is hard, but I, I was. I've been look. I realize I've been really fortunate in all that I've had the opportunity to to write and all of the people I've gotten to work with in in my career. You got to work with a Ramita, you know. Yeah, I got Just, to work with, with with both Ramitas on a regular basis. I got to work. Uh, Joe Kubert drew a story that 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 I, I wrote. Didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so. I, I, you know, when I, you know, I worked with John Byrne for forever. I, you know, when I was an assistant editor, I was working with Walter Simonson. I mean, his mouth actually dropped at Byrne, by the way. And oh. he's a big, he's a Byrne victim. So. Oh, well, John is a good friend. You know, uh, actually, we're going to his birthday party next weekend. That's awesome. Yeah. Tell him we said happy birthday. I, I will indeed. <laughs> And the, funny, the most interesting thing is you have the most consistently good Spider-Man run. Because sometimes some writers will have, like, you know, their ebbs and flows in there. But I remember reading your stuff during my uh, massive Spider-Man reread. And uh -huh. phenomenal stuff. Well, thank you. Some would disagree with you on that. <laughs> you know, I, I, you know I, the, the Clone Saga. But uh, the, the fun thing for me, you know, the Clone Saga has been pilloried for a number of years. But I, I've been doing a lot more shows, and I get more people coming. Now, obviously, the people that hated it aren't coming to my table to talk to me or get autographs. People that loved it are saying, this, this Ben Riley was my my Spider-Man, you know, and, you know, and, and I love that, <laughs> you know. I will say, from my experience with the Clone Saga, the ones that I found the most enjoyable were the ones that you wrote. So well, thank I'm just you. like, okay, so they yeah. helped that. I'm like, oh, this issue, eh. Wait a minute, Mackie. Cool. Okay, on to the next one. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, 
what do you find yourself doing now? What's the, what's the line ahead? Uh, you said shows, places oh, yeah. you're going to be. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm doing a lot of appearances, more than I have in many, many years. And I'm, I'm kind of ratcheting it up at this point. But I'm also doing a lot more work. I did, I, I have, recently I've done some consulting work for a, a comic book related TV series. I, I have... You're not at liberty to say what I, it is, I, I can't right now, unfortunately. Um, almost, you know, there's so many NDAs in the business now that didn't really... You're doing a Flatman series? Yeah, <laughs> that did not exist at one point. So I, I've just wrapped up some stuff on that, but the, the series has already picked up uh, for, for a second season, so there'll be more of that, which is great. But I'm all, you know, I just wrapped up a, um, a writing relationship with Zenoscope Entertainment, uh, which which was was fine. Uh, it's you know it 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 got me back into the habit of writing and writing comic books because I've done a lot of things outside of comic books recently, and I, I but I, I, that was great for what it was. But now I'm moving on. I I am currently in negotiations with one of the top. Mar- publishers of comics that Cold who, Key? Yeah, yep. Yeah, you know, who, 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 whose name uh, shall remain uh, Marvel um, to, to do a couple of projects go, going forward. But I also have a number of uh, creator owned projects with some uh, unbelievably good artists that are being optioned right now by a couple of other publishers. That's so, so awesome. yeah, that that's that's what I'm doing. And then I talk on podcasts at, uh, at comic shows every once in a while. Of them. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, which is the character you prefer writing for the most? Now I'm going to put you on the hot spot for that. Yeah. Spidey or Ghost Rider? Uh, you know. He didn't want to choose before. Well, what yeah. are you going to do now? Yeah, Man. which one is my two favorite children? I always. Mm. This is what I always tell my two daughters. I always say to them, yes, I do have a favorite. And they go, uh-huh, we know. And then, I, and then I'll say, which one is it? And they both raise their hand. So that makes me think that I'm a good dad. And, yeah, I do have a favorite of the two. I mean, if you're a Simpsons fan at all, you could do, you know, a Seymour Skinner and just go, um, well, mm, uh, yeah. just walk out Aurora Borealis. Yeah. Yeah. So... So yeah, no, I, I couldn't choose because I always, I mean I loved my my run on Gambit, the, yeah. the Gambit limited series. I also Mutant X, which which I did beginning with Tom Rainey, who's also here at the show. Um, I, I forgot how much I did love that, and it's gotten a lot more attention recently. I sign a lot of those those books at shows these days, and part of the thing that I liked about that in particular was nobody thought it would sell. So as a result. I was completely left alone to do whatever the heck I wanted to do. So that was just fun. On the topic of Gambit, you know, they ended up shelving the movie recently. That was supposed to be with Channing Tatum. Yeah. And little mini aside, I think Channing Tatum would actually do a much better job as Ben Grimm. Yeah, I agree. a good-looking guy like that and then make him into Orange Rock Monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with that movie getting shelved... People have been saying, you know, what the movie was going to be. It was going to be a rom-com, apparently. Right. And apparently, Chris Claremont was heavily involved in that version. Of it. That's what I've heard, that he, he came up with the plot. Yeah. On the spot, I'll do another on the spot one. Hopefully, this one isn't that bad. But, on the spot, how would you do a Gambit movie? Would you adapt your series? I would, because I loved my series. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, honestly, I, I, I really... The, okay, my wife, who's at the show with me, um, and I, we met at Marvel Comics. She was in the licensing end of it, and she is not a comic book fan. I mean, she, I mean, she likes comics, but not not a, she's not a, a reader. And 
I've written close to 700 individual comic books in my career. But who's counting? Yeah, no, I, I honestly am not counting. That's yeah. why that's an estimate. Uh, wow. And I have only asked her to read one comic book because I thought she might like it. And it was issue number one of the Gambit series. And I, I brought it to her when it came in the mail. I said, would you read this? I think she like, she read it. I came back a little while. And she said, oh, yeah, that, that, that was good. I did like that. And never, it was one of a four-part series, and she never asked for the next three. So, I, you know, but I do think that's the secret of our, our we've been together for 35 years. So uh, I, I think uh, that's one of the reasons why we're, she, she's supportive but she's not that involved in the comic book stuff. So, yeah. I, that's the best way. Yeah. But it's a, it's a self-contained story, and that's why I think it would be ideally suited for, for the movies. You heard it here first. Gambit, Howard Mackey, on the way. <laughs> and that's not taking away from Chris Claremont, because obviously he created the character. But I was approached, quite frankly, on the, the way that even came about was the sales figures on the... Um, Ghost Rider special that I did with John Romita Jr. Go, you know, Ghost Rider, Wolverine, Punisher was just a light, Hearts of Darkness was just a license to print money as far as I'm concerned. But the sales figures of that came out the day that I was coming up to the office for a reason. And Bob Harris, who was the editor-in-chief, oh no, he wasn't editor he was the X-Men editor at that time. And, the, and Bob is a good friend of mine still. He had seen the sales figures and then saw me, he said, Howard, come over. And he said, haven't you ever thought about doing something for the X-Men office? And I said, no, not really. Not, not so interested. He said, oh, come on. You know, you know, isn't there a character that you would like to do something with? I said, not particularly. And he, he said, well, what? I said, you know, maybe Gambit. He said, okay, let's go to lunch. And so that's how the, the Gambit series came together. And I pitched the story. And I, I kind of liked the fact that it was getting me out. I mean, everything else I had written had always been involved in New York City or Brooklyn. And now I'm getting to, you know, research New Orleans. And, uh, lunch with Bob. And, well, yeah, please, I've had lunch with Bob. He's a terrible eater. Uh, <laughs> you know, and Bob, you got schmutz on your face. Clean it up. <laughs> you know, so, yes. Anyway. Lunch over Gambit. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yes. We used to do a lot of lunches. We had good expense accounts in those days. <laughs> All right, so, Howard, before we head out, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Um, you can. Best place to get me is on Facebook, Howard Mackey Writer. Uh, I believe the, uh, the icon is your head on fire. It is. It is. Yes. Uh, although I change it up, but a friend of mine uh, had done that for me, and I have little stickers that... Uh, did I give you a sticker? Yes, you did. Okay. Did you get a sticker? Yes, oh, man. I give everybody a sticker. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for, those, the table without it. for those at home listening to this, it was a great exchange. I go, here's my card. I have great stats. That's awesome. Here's a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it works. It, did, it didn't smell like grape. I was disappointed yes. about that, but I got the sticker nonetheless. Excellent. It's better than getting a penance stare. Yes, <laughs> indeed. I've gotten many of those. Anyway, Howard, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for talking to me. Thanks one more time to Howard Mackey. Up next, we have Mark McKenna, who has written for X-Men, Spider-Man, and many more. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Wilson here at Garden State Comic Fest, day two, Sunday, June 30th. Here, taking a few minutes to talk to us, is publisher, author, illustrator, and lecturer. It's all on his card, I'm reading right off it. Mark <laughs> McKenna. Mark, thanks for taking some time with us. Welcome. Very welcome. Uh, appreciate again you taking the time to, to be with us. Have seen you at a few shows, most notably in, uh, in Albany. 
at the one um, that's usually twice a year. And here now at Garden State, I think you've made the rounds, and we'll get into other shows and what's coming up. When and how did it start, and with what titles would folks know you from? Mostly? So, um, my career started back in the, the mid-'80s. I was uh, hired at Marvel Comics in 1985 by John Romita Sr., who I was reading Spider-Man comics of his in the back of my parents' station wagon when I was uh, 17 years old. And one day, John calls me up and offers me a job at Marvel Comics, and I thought it was my friend Rick playing a joke on me. Yeah. I couldn't believe John Romita Sr. would be calling me up and offering me a job uh, at $4.50 an hour. Um, I couldn't uh, I couldn't fathom taking a job like that until uh, I explained to John after a year that uh, I needed to make more money to make just to travel from the Long Island Railroad every day to New York City. So I eventually took the job, worked there for two years at Marvel, uh, and then went off to D.C. when they hired me uh, to do Dr. Fate in 1987. And I stayed under contract at D.C. for four years. And then I went back to Marvel when uh, they offered me Dr. Strange in 1991. And as far as what you've done, it's been strictly the illustrating part. And Maybe if you can just go into a little bit of what the components of that involve, or if you've had to do other jobs. Sure. So, 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 um, you know, the, the the assembly line of comic books are, you know, writer, uh, penciler, inker, letterer, colorist, uh, and I was brought in to learn the inking trade in the beginning, uh, and then as uh, my I more books underneath me, uh, almost 600 books to be nearly exact, over 34 years. Uh, what happened was Marvel and DC uh, don't call as much. Maybe I'm overpaid. Maybe I'm too old. I don't know. But what happened is uh, I decided I would start to take the control of my own future and do my own books now. So I do a book called Combat Jacks, which is a sci-fi book. It's kind of a throwback to the old rubber-suited horror monsters of the 50s. And also uh, the old DC uh, Vault of Horror, Tales of uh, the Crypt kind of things. I was a huge fan of those black and white books in the 50s. And I thought it'd be fun to do a little horror book myself. I also do a children's book called Banana Tale. It's about a monkey thinks he's turning into a banana because he ate so many <laughs> bananas as a kid. And uh, I have four books out with that. And then Combat Jacks has been recently collected into a trade paperback. But it, I, now I wear more hats. So yeah, I write, I edit, I publish. I want to get into one other aspect of what you're doing now, too, that's, that I see here. But wasn't that something that a lot of kids, if not every kid, thought that if you eat too much of something, you will turn into that yeah, thing? Yeah, I feel like that's true, okay. yes. Okay, so, and I'm sure it's been brought out in other aspects, and this now, too. What I want to ask uh, now is about the lecturing part. How's that yeah. uh, going, and what are you... Right, so um, back in 2012, uh, I was at a uh, New Jersey book um, conference. Uh, I want to say it was Paramus. I'm not quite sure what town we were in, but um, I was on. I was. It was a lawn uh, a library show, and um, one of the uh, curators came up to me and, and said, "You know, as a comic book artist, um, would you be interested in being our uh, author of the month for February in the Bergen County uh, library system?" So I said, "Absolutely." I gave him a price, and when I started, I developed a 35-minute uh, PowerPoint presentation on what it's like to be a comic book artist and all the aspects of the business, when, when the best time to work is, uh, what your responsibilities are, uh, what the life of a freelance artist, all that kind of stuff. So I did, uh, I did 13 libraries in, in 2012, and um, I got very comfortable with talking in front of people. 
and I still do schools and libraries to this day, and it's, you know, seven years later. That's great. That is, that is really good, another outlet to, to get yourself out there and for people to know and understand what, what it's about, and if people are thinking about doing that, pursuing that. Right. It's, um, right. There's kids that, you know, want to be comic book artists, and you have to let them know that, they're, you know, they're, it's not that easy. I mean, it's a, it's a work-for-hire business. You don't work a staff job. You get paid by the, you know, by the page, and it's not the first job that's the hardest one to get. It's the second job. The first job, you know, you might have been working on your samples for uh, two years. The second job now has a deadline attached to it, and the reality is, if you don't make your deadline or you're not that good, you're never going to get that. You're never going to get the next job. The first job determines your second job. With um, the differing amount of characters that you've done, do you have a particular favorite favorites that you enjoyed the most, or you get something the most out of? Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of the uh, the, the really eclectic characters, the Silver Surfers. The Black Bolts, the Spectre at DC or Dead Man, just those characters that weren't the Supermans or Batmans. Or the, you know, uh, those guys didn't do it for me as much as the, the odd characters. I always liked doing them. What do you got coming up uh, as far as going to shows or the work that you're doing, maybe? So this is actually a down year for me as, as far as shows, which I'm thankful for. I've been averaging 20 shows a year for the last three years. And uh, this year I'm at 14 shows, uh, which I'm again I'm thankful for. But I'm, I uh, I did a Mississippi Comic Con last year, and the guys who run that show, ABC Promotions, asked me to be a guest at the uh, Louisiana Comic Con, the Alabama Comic Con, and the Arkansas Comic Con. The Louisiana Comic Con was two months ago. Alabama's in two weeks, and then Arkansas is in September. I'm supposed to go to um, Birmingham, England, and Labor Day weekend. Uh, staying plenty busy with that stuff. Other than that, where can folks find you on social media? Sure. So I am. Uh, I kind of maxed out on my Facebook, but I, uh, you know, Mark McKenna. Uh, you can find me at Mark McKenna Art, I believe, on Facebook. I um, also I do have an Instagram account. I don't remember my. You know, Google me. You can find me. Um, and then markmckennaart.com is my uh, my website. And uh, you can go in there, you can see my calendar of uh, events and uh, my artwork that I sell and you know, commissions and things like that. Great. Again, Mark McKenna, thank you very much for your time. And don't forget combatjacks.com for the new work that's out there. It sounds really cool and interesting. Thank you, yes. Thanks again. Enjoy the rest of the fun. Cheers, thank you. Thanks one more time to Mark. And lastly, we're going to do a part two with Joe Just a Rue. This time, Eddie is talking to Joe Jesco, and we're going to see that unfold before our eyes right about now. And in what seems to be part two of day two of Garden State Comic Fest 2019, talking again to multi-talented, but we're going to go with the art stuff for now, Joe Jesco. I missed it yesterday. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to be at a panel, so I, I wish I could osmosis and oh. spit myself, but thank you so much for everything that you've done. Oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. I'm flattered that you want to talk to me. I No, no, absolutely. And, and get as many things as I can from you, sign and all that stuff. And, and just with the card, one of the card sets that you just kind of recently put out made me realize how many different characters. I don't even know if you can ballpark how many you've drawn. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, it'd be hard to put a number on them. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons that I, 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 I'm so comfortable with the characters because I think over the years I've drawn pretty much everybody that, that Marvel's uh, that, that Marvel has produced uh, at one time or another for, for one thing or another. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I was coming from the time I was a kid, so I was familiar with all the characters and and uh, painting for them as long as I have. Uh, you, you tend to cover the, every base. And what year? 
would you say you started and um, how many years are you up on doing this now? How many years? Uh, well, I, I sold my first cover uh, when I was 18 years old to, uh, to Heavy Metal Magazine and started working for Marvel right after that. So it's, this will be my uh, 41st year, I guess, doing That's this. great. Congratulations on the longevity. Well, That's right. another major thing. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, I, I consider myself fortunate that 40 years later, I'm, I'm really busier now than I think I've ever been. And uh, I find it funny. That, uh, that I meet people at conventions sometimes and they expect me to be 90 years old because I've been working for so long. You know, and they just, they just assumed that I was going to be an old guy and it, it, it always amuses me. There was a guy in Buffalo recently came up to me and he goes, wow, you're younger than I thought you would be. I'm so glad to find out you're not dead. It was a compliment, it's, but I was it, like... It's hard to, yeah, to take something. To, how, do you, how do you take that? Right. right. Um, out of all these characters... I can't pin you down for a favorite. I'm looking at all the box, the box corner. The corner boxes, boxes yeah. Because that's expanded from when I first saw you. I think mm -hmm. a couple years ago at a East Coast show. I think East Coast Comic Con. How many characters are you up to with these corner boxes? I think I've done about 30 or 31 so far. Uh, my original intention with these was to do to start and do all the 60s boxes first, and then move on to the 70s. Uh, and I got waylaid a little bit when Marvel asked me to do the, uh, the, the the covers for that series that they put out, and they had me do some contemporary characters. But I'm I'm doubling back now, and I want to finish all the 60s boxes first. And there were a lot there were a lot more than, than I would have thought there would be for for the limited number of titles that they had out back then. Because uh, you, you could do you could do up the Western titles. You've got Sergeant Fury. You got Millie the Model. You know, I mean, there 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 really are a, a bunch of books that you kind of forget about that uh, that had really cool corner boxes. So they're going to they're going to make really nice paintings. If you do a Millie the Model, it's going to be like whoa, that's really going to throw a lot of people. Back. Uh, well, well, I figured if I'm going to do them, I might as well cover them all. You know, I want to do the Western Ghost Rider, which I think would be really cool. You know, he, he was he was a, he was a '60s corner box, and there 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 were really there you, you could do these forever, really, when you think about it, because they they change the boxes every now and then. And then when, when they got through the 70s and 80s, the boxes changed constantly. And now that made me think when you said the range and the time frame, when you figure out a character to do, you're going to correspond the information below that, I guess, especially the, the price of the comic thing. Well, I, I, not, well on, on the more recent characters that I had to do, obviously if I'm doing the 60s boxes, I'm keeping the 60s motifs that they say 12 cents. But uh, yeah, the, the, the main thing about them is, is if you remember, uh, whatever the background color was on the corner box and behind the figure also matched the logo that was on the Marvel. Uh, was on the Marvel logo. So if I don't have the actual comic at home, I have to then scan from various sources and then in Photoshop cobble together either the the issue number and and, and the, the the Marvel logo from a different box. So a lot of the, a lot of them I can scan like directly from. Uh, books that I have that are in nice shape, and others I have to cobble together in Frankenstein from other sources. And does that go the same thing for the uh, month and the issue number? Or? Yeah, I, I, if I'm trying, or, or uh, I, again, sort of like uh, if if I have a book that came out, uh, you know, after the '60s, like somewhat one of the more contemporary characters on the, the Venom uh, poster, for example, I had to make sure that it was it said 2.99 because that was the first appearance of Venom, you know. So uh, you try, you just you play with them every now. And then. They're not exact a lot of them, but but the numbers normally correspond to to something important about the character. I truly think it's a great idea when you come up on here, and the size of it is just striking to begin with. And I don't know if anybody else, I don't think anybody else is doing that, at least not right now. No, I, 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 I was frankly surprised that nobody else started doing these, and uh, their, their response to them has been incredibly popular. Uh, uh, one, because of what they are, and nothing says Silver Age Marvel like, like the corner boxes do. They're instantly recognizable to you know generations of people. And, and, and the fact that they are the size they are uh, makes them fairly unique looking, you know, and unlike anything else that, that, that you can find anywhere. I think a last question regarding these. 
because the idea of coming to your head about doing heads, like X-Men. Yeah, see, I, 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 I thought about that, and I had said, it, it's, it's the, well, the Fantastic Four boxes I'm going to be doing next, because there's a full figure on them, and they're surrounded by the other three heads, and they, and they alternated the, the main figure every issue. So you can get four boxes out of it with, with the four different members of the Fantastic Four. The X-Men the, the X-Men headshots and the Avengers headshots, there's nothing really graphically interesting about just having the six headshots in the thing, so I'm not sure if I'll do those, which is why I chose to do the vision for the Avengers instead of the headshots. Um, but I know there were, there were a few uh, X-Men books where there are, there are like they're cropped figures here and there, and they alternate the size of the figures, so I might do uh, do one of those. Uh, but there were, I don't think there's ever been an Avengers box, as far as I can remember, that wasn't the headshots or just the main figure. So what else is coming up in the near future? More shows? Or? Uh, well, I, I, this is my last show actually until uh, probably late October when I'm supposed to go over to Italy for a show because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm buried right now under uh, a new project for Edgar Rice Burroughs where I'm, I'm painting all new covers for every single Edgar Rice Burroughs novel. So I'll be the first artist to ever cover the entire library uh, of Edgar Rice Burroughs. So it'll be the first cohesive library by any single artist, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, and, and that sounds very great right. to go abroad as well. I'm very excited too, to get into the hardcover book that we were talking about kind of recently. The Marvel book. Yes. Yeah. Of all, of all Handcuffs? There's no setting for here. More yeah. just It's got to be like memory for the great. question about it. <laughs> but having it in a, in a big size, coffee table size book. Yeah. So much more. Well, I... I, I, I if you remember the the '92 set that came out, the '92 Marvel Masterpiece, they came out with this, that comic collection uh, of, of the cards, and I didn't like those books because the paintings themselves were smaller than the actual comic books. So when you blow paintings up, and they were done so quickly and they were so loose that when you blew them up in the books, they kind of fell apart. You could see, you know, all the bones and the threads and the warts and everything. And uh, so I wasn't crazy about those books. When I when I did these, I did these a little bit larger because I knew that they would probably be reproduced in a book somewhere, and I wanted to make sure that they held up really well. So the, the book looks great. I mean. IDW did a beautiful job with just all the cards, uh, full size, uh, practically full size in the book. Yes, yes. Very, very good. Worthwhile looking inside the game. It did come out recently, within the last year, I believe. Yeah, and considering the fact that uh, the cards had such a limited release uh, when they came out, they went to a very select collector's market. The people who bought all the 92 sets really never even saw them or even knew they came out. So the book was a really a big boon to getting the, the artwork out among people who had, you know, had not even known the cards existed. Other work you've done besides, it's been mostly Marvel, I think, right? Uh, I, I, well, I've, I, worked, I, I started working for Marvel and I worked primarily for Marvel, I guess, over the years, but I've done a ton of other stuff. I worked for, I worked for Harris Comics. I, I've done I've done tons of, I was Vampirella's regular cover artist for 20 years. Uh, I've worked for Top Cow. I, 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 I've worked in advertising. I've done, I did, the World Wrestling Federation advertising posters uh, back in the 90s. Uh, I, 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 I bounce around. I, I don't like to stay in one place too long because I like I, my interests vary. Um, so it, it's uh, like I said, the, the borough's job now is something I, I, I've been courting for a few years, and I'm really excited to be doing that. Uh, I just I just like to be as versatile as possible. Congratulations, y'all! Get 41 years doing this, doing what you obviously love. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see you again. Keep it going. Next stop, 50. Okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> Thanks again. Woo, all right, and thank you again to Joe. That's like the fifth time anyone has said that in this show. That rhymed. Well, folks, we did it. We survived. We got through all the interviews. I hope you liked it. I hope they sounded great. Um, if you like this stuff, let us know. Give us a like ski. Give us a follow. Do whatever you can. Just let us know you enjoy if you like these interviews. Um, we're going to be back with you soon with another episode of The Marvelist. Who knows what we're going to do next? I sure do. I wonder if you do.
Have a nice rest of your night, guys, and thank you for tuning in to The Marvelists for Excelsior.